Welcome to Hanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 5, Family Ties, from 1983 to 1984. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, before I introduce our guest, I have to say, we are we are running into a troubling uh, trend here on, on Hanks for the Memories of ostensibly comedies that have a very dark undertone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dark Hanks. And not necessarily even enjoyable. It's just like, oh no, we have substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, getting realer than ever, I feel, at the early episodes of Hanks for the Memory than we have with any other uh, person we've covered here, quite unexpectedly. Did not did not see this coming from, from any direction. But here we are. After all those all that time with Bosom Buddies to be here again with TV and to suddenly be having a dark, depressing endings again. I wasn't ready, Mike. I have PTSD already. Well, I'll tell you what, something funny, Joey, since Bosom Buddies, I've really come around on sitcoms, and I've been watching lots of Frasier. I've been watching that show Mom, um, you know, the Anna Ferris one. Like, things have been getting nuts in my house. Whew, off the chain. Well, to help us make sense of these three episodes of Family Ties from the first and second seasons of the show, we have a new guest to our show. Before I say your name, were you on The Contenders, or are you going to be on The Contenders? I spoke to Tobin about being on The Contenders at some point. It has not come to fruition yet. Well, now that we have proverbially popped that cherry, if you will, with us today from Ramapo College, we have the host of the Ginger Geek podcast, Mr. Matt Delhauer. Hello, Matt. Hello. Thank you for having me on, guys. Thanks for coming. We are ecstatic to have you on here. This is a a long time coming. Uh, You've had your show for a while. I knew that you were in the podcast game, but this time around when we set up the TomTom Club, we reached out, we got you on here to talk about these three episodes of Family Ties. Yes, it's so interesting to realize how everyone, whenever they think of Tom Hanks, they immediately get this picture of just like this very wholesome guy, yep. family man, you know, does you know, he's going to be Mr. Rogers soon. But you go back to the beginning of his career and it's essentially just like, isn't alcoholism funny? Yeah, I was thinking somebody we have talked loosely about doing, but on the great scale of who we would do a podcast about, he's nowhere near the top. But Leonardo DiCaprio had a run mm-hmm. on a similar uh, sitcom, I guess, in Growing Pains, but he was very anti-alcohol. I remember him very passionately saying he poured every damn drop down the drain. And so I just I think about these you know massive actors, these stars, these A-list celebrities who have gotten their start ostensibly in 80s sitcoms and just tied to alcohol, apparently. But here we are. Yeah, or at least a very special issue at that, right? Oh, like, boy. If not alcoholism, something else. And these entire episodes kind of reminded me of one of those endings of Bosom Buddy Season 2. Yeah. Stretched out all the way. Yeah. Before we get into Family Ties, let us welcome Matt into the fold. So, Matt, we are still very early in the run of Hanks for the Memories. This is only Episode 5. Two of the four episodes we've done already are Bosom Buddies. Uh, so we've really only covered two movies, and I'm forgetting the second one. Oh, Mazes and Monsters. Hello, Pardu. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Rona Joffe's Mazes and Monsters. But Matt, what was the, do you remember the first Tom Hanks movie that you saw? And secondly, do you, maybe it's the same answer, maybe it's not. Do you have a favorite Tom Hanks movie? I would say, I think the first Tom Hanks movie I ever saw was most likely Forrest Gump. Okay. I can't really remember if there was anything before that, but that was around the time that he just kind of became a part of everyone's lexicon. In terms of a favorite one, I know I'm, I'm a big fan of Saving Private Ryan, but I'm also one of those people who loves to try and give a really obscure answer. I would probably say on top of that would also be Money Pit. Oh, oh yeah, Money Pit. Sure. Yeah, an earlier comedy. Hanks, nice. Shelley Long, Joey. Mm-hmm. Ooh, back from losing it. Which was a Tom Cruise movie, but nevertheless. 
all part of the Tom Tom Club, right here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. So, secondly, Matt, have you had you ever seen Family Ties? Because I had never seen a single episode. I didn't know what it was about. Mike had to sort of explain this to me an episode or two ago about it was a liberal sort of hippie or reformed hippie parents who have a child, Michael J. Fox, Alex P. Keaton, who is a young Republican who all he wants to do is, you know, be wealthy, have a great job in New York. I knew nothing about the show. And so these are the first three and the only three episodes that I've ever seen. But what was your experience? Had you seen Family Ties? Did you know about Family Ties? Hit us with it. I had known of the show because knowing of Michael J. Fox in general and especially like back to the future and his big you know breakout in the 80s everyone always loves to kind of play the side by side of like oh you know in 85 he played marty mcfly which was very different compared to alex p keaton the character he played on family ties i had never actually watched the show though so as much as i even like knew of the infamous alcoholic uncle episode with tom hanks this is the first time i actually sat down and watched episodes of the show you knew about this arc you knew about tom hanks as an alcoholic uncle Oh, yeah. I knew about the Alcoholic Uncle arc because it, it's one of the, the ones that people love to bring up whenever they talk about very special episodes of sitcoms. Okay. I had never known that there actually was a two-part arc before this that he showed up in. So I, I never knew that the, the whole, like, embezzling money concept was, like, actually part of the show. Yeah, I guess I'm uh, alone here. I actually grew up with this show. I mean, I am older, but, like... I actually remember the very special AA episode, like when I was a kid. I had seen that episode before. Now, I didn't see very many episodes from season one. I think there's about like seven or eight seasons of this thing. There's 176 episodes and a movie, which, I mean, back then, just churn them out. Yeah, I've not seen them all, but like, this was a very prevalent show in my uh, childhood, like, the whole family would get around, sit around and watch this show. I didn't recognize Hanks at the time or anything, but, like, I definitely, when watching that third episode, I was like, oh, yeah, I uh, I know what's coming. I knew exactly what was coming. I did not. I'm sort of surprised knowing the arc of these three episodes that we don't get a fourth that shows that he's okay, that he never comes back. It's so interesting in the fact that, like, they leave it at, you know, he calls AA looking for help. Spoiler alert for anyone who didn't watch these episodes. He calls AA saying that he needs help, and that's it. Uncle Ned is gone forever. Gone forever. What's a little weirder about that is he seems to be like a special celebrity guest. Like, when he walks yeah. in, he gets, like, the the round of applause yep. treatment and the whole shebang. And so, yeah, I definitely was looking for that season three or four episode where he just sort of dips back in for one and says, like, this is what I'm up to. I'm all good now. But nope. <laughs> gone forever. So we can only assume that he died in rehab. Either died in rehab or he ran off and just never came back. Like, one night they go to check on him in his room there's sheets you know going out the window like a rope <laughs> and ned donnelly is in the wind poof like a thief in the night you know considering how bad he is at running away in the first two parts i don't know if he actually would have run away would have been able to run away because the whole arc of the first two episodes he's trying to get away from the fbi after he embezzled four and a half million dollars ostensibly for good reasons i don't know we will get into all of that we only ever get his side of the story yeah, but it, it seems like he pulls like an Ant-Man, right? He does what Scott Lang did to get arrested, where he just like embezzles the money back and gives it to the people who invested it and was stolen from in the first place. Like everything but crashed a car into the swimming pool. You know, I was thinking also of like Superman 3 and then again in Office Space where it's just the computer crimes. How can you catch them? Yeah, and that's the 80s, right? They're big on, oh, I can just hide it in a computer with my secret number on a disc and, you know, it'll take you eight years to figure it out. I love the fact that he, the way he describes it as well is like, well, where did you hide it? In the computer. 
And like I immediately had that that Zoolander moment of just in the computer. Yeah, I would guess he has a very simple, or I mean, like a complex, but like a very simple keystroke characters password he's like it takes 8.7 years to crack it. he's like i'll wait and i was just thinking like you know today it would be done in a couple minutes like just mm-hmm. the way that computers have progressed 8.7 minutes yeah i mean if that if like it just if, oof. but like, anyway before we dive too deep let us bring a little bit of structure to this so the three episode arc is about it's two episodes from season one which are the fugitive part one the fugitive part two and then say uncle from season two and so the first two episodes he shows up to town sort of seemingly on a whim he's very skittish he's answering weird phone calls we find out that he has embezzled four and a half million dollars from his company because he was helping with a merger goes to see the people who are going to lose their job put faces to the number felt bad took this money was going to give it to them somehow didn't really have that worked out gets arrested goes away season two he's out of prison now looking for a job because his sister wants him to get a job now has a drinking problem because his life has bottomed out uh, he has no job anymore he has no success and so he's just drinking 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 makes a mockery of himself at the interview and then goes to rehab he hits alex and he goes flying across the room Oof! in one of my favorite stage punches of all time so that actually leads me into the question i was going to ask you before i recapped it maybe it's your answer maybe it's not matt do you have a favorite moment or a favorite scene or a favorite part of any of these three episodes of family ties as much as the rock bottom moment of, of hitting Alex all the way across the living room is infamous and is very poorly staged, I honestly, I think what it might be is there is the scene. So in the second episode, they confront him about the FBI being here. They say you embezzled this money. The moment where he is standing up for himself and what he did, and he is basically getting in a shouting match with the dad, Stephen, and, and gives this whole line about how, oh, you know, it was fine for you to decide to do things that were illegal when and you had a cause to stand for, but when I do it, it's not okay, is actually my favorite moment because it is the most well-acted moment that they have in the entire three episodes. Like, it is it is Tom Hanks proving he is an actor. You know, there's a couple scenes like that that he's in, or there's the scene where the parents are arguing and they get the call from their neighbor. It just feels like this is a comedy. This is a world in which there is, you know, set up punchline, set up punchline, jokes, character development, all this different stuff. And then they're just like, we're going to put on a one-act play right now and just, you know, just buckle up. And there is so much yelling in these episodes that no one ever wakes up like none of the kids like hey mom dad is everything all right or like at two in the morning in the third episode where you know hanks is drunk and michael j fox comes down to make a sandwich so he can study for his economics test and they are like shouting at each other in the kitchen and no one wakes up he's screaming the word taxi in the middle of the kitchen yeah and nothing and i was like oh i guess this has like the greatest soundproofing of all time but i do agree with you that like those scenes there's a couple of them whether they're again with hanks or without hanks where it's just like oh Oh, these are actually like really good actors sort of not necessarily trapped in a goofy premise but like their talents outweigh what you would cons- you know traditionally consider a sitcom actor to be so i think that's a really good choice it proves a lot of the people who are on the screen are bigger than just like the well i don't know i'd probably give alex to the fbi ha 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 next joke yeah yeah, I, I think if memory serves me, like, most of the show was like this for the first few seasons, where, like, it would be funny and everything, but it was mostly, like, a, a show just about a family, you know? Like, they would get into 
situations and Alex is you know sort of the foil to everybody but like it would get real like that like yeah I, I, I quite liked how the tone would shift like that for a while and then the tension would just be sort of cut perfectly with a joke or something like in the scene when the parents are talking and arguing and, and the neighbor calls like that was just great that's just really nice writing I thought so good show all around it is a weird kind of blend that I was going to ask you about like whether every episode or a lot of episodes have like a very special episode a very special moment or like a, a learning moment you know what I mean yeah yeah I recall that from the show I think that was why it was so popular and why like the whole family was sitting around it like <laughs> you know in a way like we didn't really need to talk to each other we could watch the show together and learn those kinds of lessons and way and like experience it like through the show I guess and like maybe that was a new thing but like I remember yeah I mean it wasn't always this extreme like alcoholism but the kids would get into trouble and like throw parties or whatever and the parents would get pissed and they'd ground them and yeah like it would unfold more sort of realistically than you might expect. I'm glad that we have a a semi-family ties expert uh, with us to to break it all down. Historian, you know? Resident historian Mike Manzi. Mike, what was your favorite moment in these three episodes? Uh, so as much as I, I love, like, Hanks, and I love Alex at the airport, and just the whole, the, the confrontation about the alcoholism, I gotta give it to Special Agent Carlisle of the FBI. Oh, boy. Holy <laughs> mackerel. Like, just, this is, like, what I mean. Like, he provides all of, sort of, like, that relief and that release and all that you need, because the rest of the family is really dealing with some some serious shit, and uh, he's just great. I mean, it just reminded me, like, oh, yeah, I'm in a sitcom, that kind of thing and like the perfect bumbling character yeah just great i loved him my favorite scene and it's a it's a hanks moment i think it reminds me a little bit of some of the madcap stuff that we saw in bosom buddies is when it's in the episode i think it's in the third episode they all kind of blend together it's in no it's the fugitive part two they're at breakfast and michael j fox finds out what you know tom hanks is running from and what he did and he's like oh it's easy just give the money back or whatever and they have that bowl of cereal and there's like the i don't know it's like granola maybe and then maybe like yogurt or maybe cottage cheese and there's the banana and he's just like doing this whole like visual medium like interpretive you know explanation of why it's not as easy it just i just loved him like schooling michael j fox in a way but also making breakfast for himself and then taking the bowl and eating it like i thought it was a like, very nice weird kind of blend of all that and i really enjoyed that and also separately Gotta love, I mean, he must have learned on the set of Bosom Buddies with Peter Scolari. Know what you're going. He juggles. He juggles. Amazing. I wrote down juggling there. And also, there's lots of baseball in the first episode, so I wrote down that because, you know, we're going to get there with uh, League of Their Own, so. Yeah. And then, Matt, on the uh, the flip side, then we'll talk about the, the, you know, the episodes as a whole. Did you have a least favorite moment? Was there something in here that you just didn't enjoy, you know, that something, I, some of it might feel dated. It actually kind of feels a little bit more modern in ways than Bosom Buddies, I think. But is there something in here that you just didn't like that you rather had not seen in these episodes? I honestly don't know if there is. Like you said, it's, it feels very dated. Some of the jokes kind of fall flat or feel stale. But ultimately, as a whole, there really wasn't a moment where once it happened, I thought to myself, like, hmm, really wish that hadn't been there. Like, it, it, it all kind of had a flow that kind of continued. So it, I think it all kind of served its own purpose. All right. That's a first. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, though. Positivity. I like it. Like, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to really stretch for an answer to, like, this is a you know, I was I was actually quite surprised how well this all came together. But um, I I gotta say, I just feel like the daughters or the sisters are are just they could have 
definitely been, I feel like, more a part of, especially the second season episode. So that would be the third episode. They just really feel like Alex episodes to me in a lot of ways, especially that third one where it's just like, all right, we're going to get Hanks and Fox in the room and it's going to sort of be like, you know, sitcom magic, you know, for all intent and purpose. And I think they're great together. I think, you know, the chemistry is there and it works and it's you know, powerful and everything. But I, I love um, I love the girls. I wish they were in it a lot more. I think they're really funny and they really rip on Alex really well. And there's just a lot of good chemistry be- between the whole family, quite honestly. I think they're all great together. Yeah, so not like a full-on negative, but just like, you know, kind of wish there was a little more of them in there. And the sister, the older sister, is Justine Bateman, sister of Jason Bateman, which is, I don't know if I've ever seen her in things or like this, I guess this is one of her probably things that she's best known for. And also, I don't know if I've ever seen Meredith Baxter Burney, the mom Elise in anything, but I know her from like Maria Bamford jokes, because I feel like that's just the name that Maria Bamford has said in a couple setups and stuff, so. And of course, Michael Gross from all those Tremors movies. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I saw one of them. My least favorite moment was in the third episode. I think this is something we talked a lot about on the Bosom Buddies, and it's just sort of a, a shortcoming of the medium, if you will, the time constraints, where Tom Hanks has to go from like, hey, I drink a lot, but I got it under control, to all of a sudden being like drunk at 9.30 in the morning before his 11 a.m. interview. Like, it just feels like everything speeds up too much, that there's too much going on, or like, we're making these leaps and bounds, right, where it's just, we don't see the evolution. And I understand that, you know, with alcoholism and everything like that, things can get a little bit murky, and like, that actually might be true to life, but it just feels like they want to tell this, like, very important story in 22, 23 minutes, and to get from point A to point B, it really feels like point A to point F, and like we skipped B, C, D, and E. Like, it feels like things are pretty much okay, and then he'll drink, like, an entire bottle of vanilla extract. It's like, oh, okay. And then things are okay in the morning, and then all of a sudden it's not. And then I know that addiction and abuse and everything like that can demonstrate or, you know, exhibit itself in many different ways, but it just feels like this is really a restriction of the medium, that we're not being able to see the full story, I feel like, the, the way that the, the writers want to tell it. I think on that point, what I find interesting is in the third episode, when he actually goes to the interview at the uh, the station with Steve, the fact that when he walks in, he seems like he's perfectly fine, and that can happen. You know, there are plenty of functioning alcoholics who can seem like they're they're perfectly fine and not just sloppy and falling over themselves and slurring. But then it takes this very comedic, almost clown-esque turn in showing just how drunk he is right now. And it's one of these weird things where I, I guess they're trying to play at the idea that like half of it is he's drunk, the other half is he's doing this on purpose to not get the job. But it, it just had this feeling of like, they want they start off because they want you to be like, oh, see, Uncle Ned's fine. He's here at his job interview and everything's going to be fine and he doesn't have a problem. And then immediately, like when he's pulling out the clarinet and he's sitting on the wrong side and he's doing this these very grandiose like vaudeville act set pieces and you're like, oh, I guess he's not fine but it, it he never comes across as drunk but just like a jackass yeah and, and i think that this is kind of again maybe if they had two episodes maybe you could do this but i i sort of wish that he got the job that he was charming and you know exactly who he was at breakfast with the with his sister and everything and he gets the job and then he fucks up at work like i feel like that would have been more validating or like better storytelling but the fact that like he's just such a mess that he is maybe drunk but also nervous like you're saying Matt and just doesn't really want the job and like you know just is unsure of himself it just feels like there's too many things going on that we don't really 
get consistent character development, which is a shame because I feel like after watching last episode, Mike, Mazes and Monsters, where Hanks was not that great, and, you know, Chris actually called him out on it and said, like, he's not the best thing here, you know, I feel like he's really bringing it here, and it's just, in case to go from zero to 60 with no buildup, you know what I mean? It's just, it just feels disconnected. Yeah. If they had tried to make the aspect of his alcoholism a much more serious thing to the story and the character, it would have held a bit more gravity when they have that final scene where, you know, he he loses it and he winds up hitting Alex and everything like that. But really all we see is he shows up, he's Goofy Uncle Ned, he's Goofy Uncle Ned who has a bunch of beers. Then suddenly in the middle of the night, he's raging alcoholic Uncle Ned. In the morning, he's perfectly fine, no hangover, I'm having my orange juice, everything's great. Oh, I might have a little bit of vodka. Oh no, you know what? You're right. I don't need it. I'm going to dump it down the drain. Then suddenly he's at the job and he's, you know, wacky Uncle Ned, but he's like overly wacky Uncle Ned. And like, if it had been something where like during the interview, it seems like it's going well, he seems nervous. And then when the topic of like, you know, embezzling four and a half million dollars comes up, he suddenly snaps and starts like screaming at the guy or something. Maybe you would have followed a more consistent idea as to what is going on in Ned's mind. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, actually. It's just it felt a little inconsistent character wise because when you see him drunk for for the first time really drunk it's brooding alone and he's you know feeling sorry for himself and he explodes at Alex and stuff and then the next time we see him drunk and he's kind of wacky it's like oh well I, I thought he was wacky when he was normal and he was dark when he was drinking and so I wasn't even sure if he was drunk at the interview or just tanking it until the show told me for sure what was going on and then again at the end I think it works better at the end maybe because it's more towards the end but like I think dark drunk Hanks works best there when he's pushing Alex and then he's breaking down and he's crying and stuff like I actually think that that scene came together pretty well but yeah it did feel a little character wise sort of uh his alcoholism felt a little lopsided and and it can I mean you know mood swings and on all that kind of thing comes with the territory absolutely but I just felt for the show's purpose it maybe could have streamlined that a little bit and it would have been a bit a bit easier to track so I guess I changed my answer my least favorite scene was the interview (laughs) that's very reflective of you I appreciate that what is there to talk about, really, with this show? Because, like, it's a different TV-watching experience than, you know, Mike, when we did Wisdom Buddies, or we did The Nick for Cinemakers, or when Joe and I did Summerland for Zack Attack. Like, we don't really have a ton of these, like, multi-episode arcs, I don't think, right? Like, this is kind of rare for us, and I don't know, because we can't really talk about the show, because I don't know the show, and the episodes, I feel like we kind of covered them, but, like, what more is there to talk about? Because I don't want to just end this after, you know, 25 minutes. Is there more to talk about, I guess, is the question. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, even with Red Oaks, right? Like, we usually, when we do this, we watch, like, the complete series or something so just picking out like an arc is kind of new territory i don't know i mean like i was saying earlier i felt it kind of worked nice as like this mini movie in a way these three episodes that fit together pretty well i do wish that the second episode was also uh, the second season was also a two-parter i think it would have rounded out a bit better okay so do these episodes do these feel like gateway episodes to you guys would you be up to watching like more of this show without hanks or any other special guests do you see yourselves revisiting this ever um no not really i mean i feel like it's it's difficult like i think that it's not the kind of thing that was written to really age well like i think it's very of the time and i appreciated and i was actually talking to joe too about this uh earlier mike is that everything's cyclical right like everyone you know like kids today who are you know liberal or whatever are because their parents are conservative and like it's just weird to me because it feels like in my mind maybe it's just because the way that i came up that i was raised or whatever that it feels like kids our age are quote-unquote supposed to be liberal because you know when you're 
you're younger, you're poorer, and you're sort of like, the world's great, let's make the world better. And then you get older and you get richer and you become conservative. But back here, when you have the inverse of it, like it's it's weird and I think it's kind of interesting and cool to see that there's a young Republican kid because he doesn't like his, how his parents were hippies. Like, I think that's a cool kind of premise. And we were saying before sort of recording that, like, the guy who created the show didn't want him to be this sympathetic, likable character, but Michael J. Fox was just so, you know, his, his personality was so, I guess, charming on set, for lack of a better word, that, like, people just loved him. And he's like, well, that's not, I don't, I don't want you to like this kid. Like, this kid's not supposed to be the one you root for. And I just think it's kind of interesting to see this sort of shift in what I would tend to, you know, come to expect from a, a sitcom, that, you know, the kids are the rebellious ones and the parents are the sort of uptight ones, but that doesn't mean that I really want to watch more. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, I, I would basically have to kind of echo what you said, Joey. It's an interesting concept as to what they built, and I know that it is a staple in the conversation of sitcoms throughout the 80s, but it's one where I don't know really how to approach or relate to the situations that are going on in it that I can't really see myself willingly being like, I'm going to watch all nine seasons of this or whatever it happened to be. Yeah, Mike, does this make you want to go back to me now that you are in full sitcom swing mode, you know, doubling down? Like, are you going to watch more of this or do you feel like you remembered what you remembered and you're sort of, you're good? What's interesting is like, as I was watching these episodes, I was, I had quite fond memories of this show and I was kind of thinking of trying to find a couple episodes I was more familiar with. I mean, I remember vividly when Michael J. Fox's future wife comes on the show as a role and like I guess that's where they met and like that arc was really great and like she had to leave and it was just this whole heartbreak thing like I I, I don't know I might I think I might give a couple episodes a try but like I won't go back to the beginning and you know watch them all from start to end or anything like that but I was kind of surprised about I guess how much you know nostalgia there was there lingering and uh, and I totally get it like you know it's I think it's a more it's more of a like a political sitcom than most and it also you know because it's like an 80s thing like it's heavily referencing a lot of like current events maybe and you know yeah I could understand why it might feel or seem a little more dated than most and therefore like kind of hard to get into but yeah I still find I find it interesting I I was surprised I guess you could say about how entertained I was by it. So I guess a follow-up question then to that would be, you know, when we were talking last episode of Hanks and the Memories with Austin Wolf Southern, and he was talking about how he was bouncing around because Hanks was a guest star on an episode here and an episode there, just one per show. Does this little exercise plus our time with Bosom Buddies make you want to go see those other shows that eventually I think we will cover on a clip show or something down the road? Maybe we could do a detour here, I don't know. But I feel like the way that we've set it up, I think a clip show might work better. But Mike, do you have any interest in seeing his other sitcom appearances from the 80s and seeing if one is a little bit more you know fun or enjoyable than uh, depression 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 of family ties yeah i think so you know originally i was more of the mindset of let's just put all that behind us and stick to the movies as much as possible and just you know cover what we absolutely need to you know especially bosom buddies like we could not not do that but yeah you know it's funny i actually the the happy days clip came up on youtube the other day and i started watching it and i stopped myself because i was like i think i gotta go try and find this episode and see what's happening and what led to this and yeah you know i'm that love boat episode that austin mentioned where he's like a real prick or whatever like i want to check that out even if it's not good because i feel like now you know there's more to him in these early years than I ever would have expected. I mean, it might not be great. It might not be working, but I never thought he was trying stuff like that this much. And, you know, considering the next episode, the next thing that we're going to talk about is Splash. It's like, oh, like this is the last thing he really did before he's like huge, right? 
like we talked about for Bosom Buddies, that once Splash came out and Splash was this like hit, then CBS or NBC or whoever at Bosom Buddies was like, oh, we should probably re-air this because we've got 37 episodes of TV show with like, this guy that people love. Let's bring him back out there. So we're about to see the explosion. I mean, we already saw it in Cruise Club that from, you know, the outsiders to sort of kind of losing it, but not to risky business, that we are already on the ascension of Tom Cruise as a movie star. And we're about to hit that for Tom Hanks. And so I am just so, so thankful, Mike, that after... 15 episodes or whatever of Keanu with like a couple things in there and a bunch of Charlize with stuff in there but like we're there from the start almost like we're almost there already and it's so exciting like I know it's, it's not it's all it's not all you know winners from here on up I don't particularly like Forrest Gump we'll get there I don't know but but you're definitely going to wait for the clip show to watch the oh love yeah I'm not I'm not going to go watch the love boat right now I can tell you that much <laughs> but yeah I mean like I'm just so excited that we are now in this you know ascension again of Tom Hanks into movie star and so full swing Tom Tom Club getting crazy next episode all right so now, Matt, we have a very important question we ask on the show. If Tom Cruise played the Tom Hanks character, the Uncle Ned character, which I don't know... Because, like, Uncle Ned is the cool young uncle. He's not even 30 yet, but I feel like he's playing a character like when we just watched Risky Business, Tom Cruise is supposed to be, like, 18. He was more like 2021. Here, Hanks is, like, supposed to be, like, 30. I don't like. It just feels like the age difference is not there. But movie magic. Matt, if we had cast Tom Cruise instead of Tom Hanks in these three episodes of Family Ties, what would that have looked like? Well, I think the first interesting fact of it would have been that not only would he have looked younger, I think, uh, maybe too young to actually pull off the the late 20s, early 30s uh, age range, he also would have been the same height as Michael J. Fox. So the moment he hits him would have come off very differently. Very true, very true. I think the big difference would have been that while Hanks decided to kind of portray the youth of Uncle Ned through being very goofy and very loud and very kind of over-the-top comedic is, you know, Tom Cruise, I think, would have been going for more of, like, the slick, cool businessman type of thing. Because, I I mean, you know, you think Tom Cruise in the 80s, I immediately think of the oversized sports jacket with the Ray-Bans. And I feel like they would have gone less with it being him as, like, you know, oh, well, you know, he's still such a child. And it would have been more of, like, yeah, he's he's a shark who's working his way through the business uh, aspect of New York City. And the darker, more serious moments would have probably hit far more often, but it would have been less shouting and a lot more just intense talking at everyone about what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, what about you? What if we flip-flopped, swip-swapped Tom for Tom? What would this look like? So, yeah, I definitely agree with Matt on a lot of aspects. Like, I feel like he probably would have been more of, like, a Gordon Gecko wannabe type guy then somehow found his soul. But I definitely see that, you know, more of a business guy, more more of like a serious guy. I think also, though, may, maybe my main switch would be instead of booze, I could see him being more of like a cokehead or something like sure. that. Oh, yeah. Uppers, not downers, for sure. Yeah. I think he would play it way more serious and way scarier i think he'd when he gets intense like we've seen it even just in taps tom cruise has the ability to like really scare the shit out of me on screen there's something behind those eyes but yeah so I, that those are basically like my big main changes you know i got a real simple change here mike at the end of the second episode the reason he turns himself in he's running away trips on the younger sister's uh, catcher's mitt hurts himself comes back inside obviously tom cruise does that He's not going to get tripped by a catcher's mitt. He's going to keep running. He's going to run and run and run. He's going to get away. <laughs> so there's not even a third episode. It's just he gets away and just poof, gone forever. Nice. 
All right, Matt, next question for you. This is a weird contest to win, but if you want a walk-on role for these episodes of Family Ties, if you're going to Stan Lee yourself into a cameo in one of these episodes, what would you be doing? Where would you be? There's not a lot going on here. Like, it feels like it's all at the house, the little scene of the office, little scene of the airport. There's not, like, we don't really venture out, really. Mike, is most of of the series just at the house? Most of these episodes are in the kitchen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Right, yeah. We're going to have to get creative here, but... You could add a location if you want to, though. Yeah. You could create a scene. So, Matt, if you want to walk on roll into these three very specific episodes of Family Ties, what would you be doing? Simple answer is the airport scene when they're trying to get Ned to flee to Seattle. Uh, it would be either one of the various characters who go walking by when he makes his escape and swaps out with the nun, or one of the people standing around when he does the giant jump over the desk when somebody yells out Ned. Oh, okay. Possibly one of those things where he leaps over, I get that moment where I get to kind of look over at him, give Alex Keaton that kind of like, what's this guy's deal face, and then away I go. I like it. Mike, what about you? I'm also at the airport, but quickly, by the way, did anyone recognize Earl Bowen behind the counter there? I, I don't know who that is. So I had to look up his name, but this guy I recognize from tons of shit, but like, yeah, he's in everything. He's a great character actor. He's like the psychiatrist in the Terminator movies. I mean, he's all over everything. I also do want to quickly point out how simple of a time it was before 9-11 where you could just like, and also know it's a TV show, but like giving fake names. He's like, all right, whatever. I don't care. Just I'm doing my job here. Literally, as long as you can pay for this ticket, I don't care who you are. Exactly. What a different time. So I'm at the airport, but I'm just, I'm the voice over the monitor, like calling out flight delays and things like that. I'm getting real obscure. I'm really hiding myself this episode. (laughs) I'm going to, I guess, because there's, you know, I would would like to be at the airport because I like the airport scene. I liked him in his costume, which is going to be the episode art for this. But I'm going to go in the office, I guess, because there's no reason for me to be at the house. I'm going to go to the office and I'm going to be walking out of the room after a very, well, I guess, no, that doesn't even fit because the interviews were already done. Oh, man. I was going to say I was going to be walking out after like a very successful interview and then Hanks was going to come in like be all like drunk and I was just be like, oh, good luck in there, buddy, or whatever. But that doesn't even fit within the narrative of the story. Or flip it, be the guy coming in for the interview after Hanks blows it. Ooh, you're hired. There you go. Perfect. I like all three of those. It is a weird show. I don't think I let you answer, Mike. Does most of the show take place at the house? Oh, oh yeah. From what I recall, yeah. And, you know, like Matt said, I believe mostly in the kitchen at that. Like, I'm not, that's no kidding. Like, all right. I think that is for real. It baffles me that it just seemed like the only way they could ever start a scene was somebody's going to eat something. Yeah. Hey, man, when it works, it works. That's all I got to say. <laughs> we have an email address here on the show, hanks at cageclub.me. Email us if you've got thoughts. These episodes are available to watch on CBS All Access. So if you've not burned your trial yet, I would say probably wait for Twilight Zone and then double dip or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, check these three out and then just marathon as much of whatever you can for seven days. Yeah. But if you want to watch them, you can legally watch them. Just sign up with a new email, put in a credit card information, cancel easy peasy. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash cageclub. If you want to control what Mike and I watch, either a specific individual movie, or if you want to inspire an entire podcast, either way, go on there, patreon.com slash cageclub, say hi, kick in a couple bucks, control what we watch, do your thing. So Mike, the last question I'm going to ask before we get to the awards 
section of the show, which I don't know if we're going to do any awards here, honestly, but we'll see. I'm going to change it once again. So Matt, the last question we have this thing, because like for Tom Cruise, obviously he's he's been running in movies since 1981. That's his Twitter bio. So we always ask, did Tom Cruise run in what we watched? And the answer is usually yes. We started off with Tom Hanks. Does he like turn his head to the side, sort of chuckle? And then we sort of changed it last week to, does he act mirthful? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify it here, Mike. I'm going to say, does Tom Cruise do something that would qualify him as on the road? Road to being America's dad. And I'm going to say yes. I know that he is kind of a mess here, but he has teachable moments with all three kids. And I feel like he is sort of this voice of wisdom. And he is also a train wreck and he is a criminal and he uh, is going to go to rehab by the end of the third episode. But I feel like he has those teachable moments where it's just like, he's not a bad guy. All right. I, I, I mean, I'm almost there. I can't, I mean, when he, uh, the way he hit Alex, I just don't know. And I'm thinking Oh, I'm not saying mode. entirely America's dad. <laughs> Although. But maybe that even might even be part of what qualifies him. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I'd say it's close. I'd say it's very close, but it's not, it's almost there. But I don't know if it's, I, I'm, I don't know if it's there yet, Joey. I think we're, we're on the other side of well, the Well, I'm just saying tonight. on the road to, it doesn't have to, well, I, answered however you want so you're i'm saying yes sort of with with reservations you're saying no matt break this tie do you think he is on the road to being america's dad or is this still not is this like a detour i'm gonna say yes he is and i'm going to point specifically to the scene that joey brought up earlier with him and alex in the second episode when he's doing the whole you know this banana is uh, a company's profits and this bowl is like you know the good of the people or whatever and he's dumping in the cereal and the cottage cheese and the milk and then cutting up the banana and essentially is like, you know, what you need to look at is it's not black and white. There's a lot of things in life that get put into one side and the other side doesn't care about any of them. And so it's, it's just this nice moment where he's like, you know, look, I get that you have dreams and aspirations, but the world is not what you think it is as a 15-year-old Republican. Yeah. I spoke in front of the world Bang! Just yelling about it at 2 a.m. I do like, you know, like this is the, it's the weird kind of thing where it's uncomfortable to watch someone who's dealing with an issue. Like he, I think he handles it well, like considering how the, the script could feel clunky and they're trying to cram a lot into 22 minutes. Like there's like little moments where like he is angry and drunk and stumbling out of there. He's just like, fine, more maraschino cherries for me. And just like walks out with like the jar and the glass full of cherries. Like there's like these dumb little character moments that I think he just nails. It's just like surrounded by stuff that we're not supposed to enjoy we're supposed to like learn from and so it's a weird blend to have this like i guess it's the whole thrust of the very special episode where it's like i'm kind of enjoying this but i'm not really enjoying this and i don't know how to feel well and it's especially the awkwardness of early 80s like very special episodes where the subject matter is dark and it is something that we're supposed to be learning a lesson from in the end. But it's a sitcom, so there's gonna be people laughing at stuff that is not funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or or not know how to react to it, so it'll be uncomfortable laughter. And it's yeah. like sort of that, you know, now very popular, make the audience cringe type of situational comedies and stuff. But back then, it was, no, like, this is, we're trying to do something raw and serious here it's just maybe not the platform because it's a sitcom I, it almost makes you think like maybe there shouldn't have been an audience or a laugh track for this episode for like you know the third episode the very serious episodes and stuff i wonder if they ever wondered about that if they're like maybe we should ditch the live audience this time and that way it'll come across a little more uh, even toned or something i would hope so for some shows but apparently that was a big problem throughout the 80s because um i believe college humor or funny or die one of them has a youtube series they do that's called 
called a very special episode where they do retrospectives on a lot of the very special episodes of sitcoms and it's meant to be comedic in the way that they look at it because it's kind of poking fun at, at the sitcom structure when trying to teach life lessons but one of the things they they love to point out is there are moments in these episodes where it's like something awful happens and then there's some laughter from the crowd and it's like yeah ha 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 what was it oh it was that show rel that debuted last year with Lil Rel Howery, and they chose to have a laugh track there, or like a, or an audience, or something. And I was just like, no, like I can't, no, I, I just can't get on board with it at any, at any, in any era. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird. Like I remember also hearing like when, um, when Mash aired in Europe, there was no laugh track. So. Like, I think uh, way back, Ricky Gervais said that on an interview I was listening to. He's like, yeah, so when we, we or maybe it was Stephen Merchant, but they're like, when we got MASH, it was, we didn't really know when to laugh. So we didn't. We just treated it like a war drama, mostly, you know, and it was a very dark comedy to them. And yeah, that would be interesting. I'd like to experience, you know, like all in the family without a laugh track. Just, you know, that would be insane. It makes me think of back when we were in school uh, and I took the, the media literacy class with Tobin, he showed everyone the movie of MASH. And it's very interesting to recognize the movie versus the sitcom because not only did the movie have the ability to get away with more because it was a film, but there's no laugh track. So a lot of the kind of humor that they're presenting is that very dark humor that, like, you kind of laugh a little bit, but you're also like, this is really depressing. Yeah. Like, the idea of sitcoms, the execution of sitcoms, the delivery of sitcoms, with the laugh track, with all of it, it's just, it's just a weird... It's a weird thing, man. I've always found it so mind-boggling in the idea that it's like, we've built a system for television where literally the whole point of an aspect of it is to tell you by the way this is funny yeah you know i haven't seen and i, I you know i know this is blasphemous and i think we've talked about it a little bit on probably on revisited because we talked about most things that don't fit into a podcast on revisited because what are we gonna do watch the movie that we're watching but, you know i haven't seen seinfeld and seinfeld is a laugh track and i kind of i'm like Ugh, like I, that's not why i haven't seen it but i'm just like i don't want to see it with a laugh track i know that's but i just like i want to laugh at what i want to laugh at i don't want to be told like you know like matt said oh laugh here i know when kramer enters like you're supposed to cheer like i get that i understand that like i don't need to be told that well, and I, it's also one of those things where it's like, if you weren't laughing, do you think at some point I'd be like, Jesus, this guy again just bursting in the door? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get what he's doing. Oh, we're supposed to laugh. Okay, okay, okay. Here, I'll yet again, I'll plug another uh, web series for you guys. Is One that I know I've been obsessed with recently is Screen Rant has one that they do called Pitch Meeting, where the, the host, Ryan, basically plays two characters. One's a screenwriter and one's a producer. And it's the idea of him doing a pitch meeting for movie or TV shows and it's essentially just kind of lambasting the the ridiculous ideas that these things might have. And he did one for Big Bang Theory. And a big part of what he does in it is they're like, oh, so what are some of the jokes we're going to have in this show? Oh, well, you know, because the guys are nerds, we're going to reference some nerdy things that they like. Or maybe they'll make a comment that's a little overly intelligent for the situation they're in. And that's funny. He's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll have a laugh track so that once they say something, everyone will know this is the joke and you should laugh now. Yeah. Yeah, I think I actually saw a couple of clips on YouTube where someone removed the laugh track from Big Bang Theory and there are just like all these awkward pauses after everyone talks before the next person starts to speak. So everyone just looks insane when they're hanging out I saw together. that one. They did one as well with um, a scene with Ross from Friends and the whole description of it was without a laugh track, Ross is a sociopath. Yeah. 
You know, I think, and I know this is not the point of what we're getting at, but I think it is easy to sort of, like, you could point out flaws in anything, and, we, you know, we try to be positive or whatever, but, like, I feel like as our coastal elite selves in our ivory towers in, you know, in the New York area... Oh, you mean my concrete bunker <laughs> underground? <laughs> yes. I feel like we are sort of disconnected from, like, middle America, and, you know, we never thought, for instance, that Trump could win, because we aren't surrounded by that all the time. And then you go somewhere else and be like, oh, we're just in our little liberal bubble. But I remember... When I flew to Minnesota a couple of years ago to see a Vikings game and when the, the new stadium opened, and I was in an Uber going to the airport, and my driver, we were just talking about TV, like TV and movies or whatever, and she was like, you know what my favorite show is? She's like, I, I don't remember the name, which is, you know, that's troubling. But she's like, she starts knocking on her steering wheel. She's like, knock, 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 knock. She's like, Penny, Penny, knock, knock, knock. I was like, Big Bang Theory? She's like, yeah, I love those guys. And I was like, oh, this is who it's for. It's for someone who doesn't remember the name of the TV show, but remembers, like, not young Sheldon, old young Sheldon, knocking on Kelly Cuoco's door and just shouting her name. And I was like, oh, there's something for everyone. It's just not for us. That's all. Yeah. I'm just going through my notes real quick uh, to sort of look for the award stuff. I like that the first episode ends with an ominous to be continued. Uh, That was something. I was going to say, as they all stare at the business card for the FBI agent. Such a weird little zoom-in close end of episode. Agent Carlisle, I wonder if he ever comes back. I mean, just to think that he's out there in the universe of family ties just amazes me. I like that he was just like this goofy guy, like... I always wanted to say that. Like, no, like, you're, uh, like... It's like, you're an agent, dude. Like, he was the most fun. He was, like, of anybody in this show who seemed like somebody's ridiculous uncle, it was Agent Carlisle. There's a character swap if Hanks was FBIing this Carlisle character. That would have been an interesting way to go about it. (laughs) The actor's name is Richard Venture, which is a great name. Oh, go Team Venture. Born in New Jersey. Hey, Jersey Strong. Died a little over a year ago at 94 years old, lived a good life... Good for him. Oh, he was most known for Heartbreak Ridge, which I don't know, but Son of a Woman, shout out P.S. Love Hoffman, Missing and Courage Under Fire. In 110 Things, he was in only two episodes of Family Ties, so he never comes back either, unfortunately. He probably got a promotion for finally catching the Bezler. <laughs> I would hope so. I like at the end of the second episode, again with Mr. Carlisle, where, like, Hanks is saying goodbye to everybody, and then he's like, well, goodbye, Mr. Carlisle. He's like, well, goodbye, Ned. And then he leaves. He's like, wait a minute. And I was like, oh, you <laughs> you rascal. Yeah, and that ends on that freeze yeah. frame, right? Of Hanks with, like, his arms out, like, oh, well. Well, the third episode ends in a freeze frame, too, with him on the phone. It's just like, I guess that's the thing. Yeah, that was, that was very much just an 80s sitcom thing. It was like, and we know it's over because everyone stopped moving. The thing that I loved about Carlisle as well was just, like, he loved being able to walk in and he's telling them, like, you know, oh, well, you know, if you guys know where he is, that means you're going to be in trouble for uh, aiding and embedding a fugitive, and that means you might get arrested as well. And then when he comes across Alex at the uh, airport, and he's like, I followed you from your house, Alex. I know that you guys have Ned, and I know that you brought him here. And he's like, oh, well, he slipped away again. And then just nothing. Alex does not get in any trouble whatsoever for lying to a federal agent and aiding and embedding and attempting to aid a fugitive from crossing state lines. Yeah, wonderful. That's all I gotta say. Wonderful. The only other real note that I have, I think, here is that, you know, at the end when he's about to call AA and he says, I guess I can look upon this as a way of meeting women that share a common interest with me. And I was like, oh, it's like a proto Marla Singer. He's just like a going to support groups just to feel a little something, so. How long had AA been around? Like, has it been around a while? Or I don't... 1935. Oh, wow. Way longer than I thought. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah, because I thought maybe this was like sort of re maybe it was like reintroducing the idea of like, hey, talk about alcoholism like it's a family man. 
Well, I think that is the point. I, you know, it, it, even if it was just around for 50 years, it might not have been in the forefront. Like, everybody knows it now. Yeah. yeah. And I do think that people like Mark Marin who talk about, like, I know you're not really supposed to talk about it, really, or, like, you, you, don't, you, you definitely don't feel obligated to talk about it, but I feel like famous people and, like, people with influence who talk about their struggles and talk about the benefits of the program do a lot of help. You know what I mean? And so... I, whether it's a show like this or whether it's just Mark Marin babbling for the first 15 minutes about whatever and then talking about, you know, sponsors or whatever. And just like, I think it's stuff like this that just gets it back into the consciousness and, you know, reminds people that there is a there is help out there if you need it, if you want it. So, And I think a big part of what they do with it, especially, you know, the fact that they, they put it into sitcoms where you have Mark Marin talking about it is there is such a stigma that surrounds the idea of going to AA or seeking help in any of this, that there's just an embarrassment of like, oh, you know, I, I, I can't control my drinking and I don't want anyone to know about that. And it at least offers this way of being like, look, man, you like Mark Marin, You think he's funny. He went to AA. So like, if he can do it, man, and he's perfectly fine, don't worry about it. Like, no one's going to suddenly turn around and be like, dude, no one likes you anymore because you go to AA. No, yeah. I mean, it's now I'm just, it's actually dwelling on me. You know, I mentioned, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been watching that show mom and that's a sitcom and that takes place mostly at aa like they go to meetings like you know uh, her and her mother are both recovering addicts and most of the characters on the show have been dealing with drug and alcohol problems like characters pass away on that show like it's pretty intense to be quite honest and so i guess we've gone from there to here yeah now it really is out there in the forefront and people talking about it. i mean you know it can only do good you know what i'm saying like yep. it does no good to just like keep it a secret it's just interesting yeah we've gone from like very special episodes to this actual show that like deals with it every single episode so mm-hmm. yeah so we got the awards here the golden whatevers i don't know golden uh, vanilla extracts to be determined probably golden volleyball <laughs> golden maraschino cherries yes. <laughs> yeah it's gonna be the golden wilson volleyball <laughs> there's not a lot to nominate here i do want to nominate for the best freak out uh, there's a couple different ones that i like but there's the one where he's drinking the maraschino cherries and he says to michael j fox to alex b keaton he says you're just like that mother of yours always thinking you can tell me what to do and then starts yelling about his pious platitudes and i was like oh god like where'd this come from i think that was a very well acted intense scene but was there anything else about this show good or bad keeping in mind sort of the entire thrust of his career that is worth noting, worth remembering, worth logging so that at the end of the run we can you know, look back and vote on this for best or worst moments and thanks for the memories. And if, if the answer is no, the answer is no. Like that, we don't have to, you know, force anything here because it, it is a weird. Like I was saying before, it's a weird in between where he is the the focus of these episodes, but there's so much of the episodes that are not about him and also the show as a whole is not about him and it's it's a weird kind of in between so i'm like on the fence as to whether i would consider this a best or a worst but in terms of best and or worst one liner that he's delivered i would definitely nominate it's not miller time it's vanilla time okay i'll put that in for best <laughs> line sure it's not miller time yeah. it's vanilla time yeah I, I'm, I'm good with the freak out i'm good with the the line i like those those are good but i'm having trouble really thinking of uh uh, something new like here's the thing too joey it's like he's gonna be front and center for the rest of his career so it's not like this can go in a category where it's like you know smallest walk like a walk-on role or cameo or anything like that you know so like it's really tough to nominate i would say last one i would throw in is this might be in the running for worst fake crying he's done i feel like that like i would i would love to nominate that but i don't know if we're going to i guess we we in theory could have multiple nominees there but does he fake cry once or more just the very end or it's where the very end after after he hits alex and he suddenly has that that breakdown realizing that he's out of 
of control. It's a weird sort of fake cry where it's it's obviously just he squints and goes <laughs> a lot, and that's it. I was not paying attention to that because I was watching him like with his hand on Michael J. Fox's thigh, like squeezing his thigh, and I was just like, I guess it's like an uncle <laughs> thing to do, but it's also like, no, I don't do that to my nephew. Well, no. not especially like this is this is mere <laughs> moments after you just punched him in the eye. Maybe don't touch him right. You know, now. I did appreciate that Michael J. Fox. I think he played it well. Like it's 15 years or whatever of presumably all like love and good memories, and then also like the reality of what just happened. He's like he wants to be there, but he's scared, and I feel like you know, I haven't been in that position. I don't know how to play that, but I felt like I could feel his fear, you know, the fact that he was betrayed. I thought that was a, a really well-acted scene, you know, especially on Michael J. Fox's part, but also a little bit on, on Hanks' part. Any other thoughts about Family Ties before we uh, close up shop and then look ahead to the next episode? No, I'm good. I mean, what did you guys think of the theme song is, I guess, my only question. <laughs> oh, that was another thing I pointed out. I wrote down that, like, I didn't know it was from the show, but I definitely know that song. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's because... Seth MacFarlane admits that his knowledge of pop culture ends at, like, 1994. A lot of what I know about Family Ties I learned through, like, Family Guy back in the mid-2000s. Well, I mean, you know, if you're going to learn about Family Ties, you might as well learn about it from something that rhymes, so... Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us here on uh, Hanks for the Memories, I believe. Let's see here. You will be back, I think, for on Cruise Club, way far down the road, sometime next year, for Oblivion, which is a very cool movie that I've only seen once, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing again. But thank you for joining us for this, Tom, and we'll see you back in about a year for the other Tom. Wonderful. I look forward to it, and hopefully I will be able to uh, find my way onto the channel again even before then. Oh, of course. And we'll, we will put out the uh, the contender's bat signal and we will, you know, we'll get it out there. We got we got people to introduce you to if you're interested. So, And also, actually, before we go, why don't you tell a little bit about your podcast? Sure. Well, the funny enough, the thing I was going to say was the thing you might not know about me, Joey, is I tend to be able to have an opinion about just uh, anything. Whoa, okay. Uh, <laughs> my podcast, the Ginger Geek Podcast, is one that I started back about a year ago. I only have five episodes at the moment because I was kind of following a, uh, it'll come out when I think it needs to come out mentality, which I've kind of re-upped this year to be. I'm going to start putting things out once a month to get more content made. Cool. Away from my inability to actually make myself work at times, it's a podcast that I created because I wanted to really dive into the world of pop culture and not be just another late 20s white boy talking about why I like Marvel movies. Guilty. <laughs> Instead, I wanted to be able to actually take a lot of the, the pop culture, the movies, the comic books, video games, all the things that you know our generation loves so much, and tie them into things that they actually can help us learn academically, whether it's about the human condition, psychology, sociology, philosophy, all of those sorts of things. So that way we can at least feel a little more haughty and hold our noses up a little bit higher when we say that we like Superman. Very, very cool. All right, so now, Mike, the next episode, the next thing we're doing on this feed is Splash. I've never seen it. I know all about it. I saw it in theaters when I was a wee lad. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess what it's about. Okay. So I know that Daryl Hannah is a mermaid. Yep. How do you build a movie around that? Hanks is... Okay, okay. Imagine the world of Serenity, the 2019 uh, Serenity. No, 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 no. Yes. Do not sully Serenity by comparing it to anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to elevate Serenity. Can that movie get any higher? I mean... I don't know. It's it's Matt, have you seen Serenity, the new Serenity? With McConaughey? Uh, oh, no, I have not. Oh, it is beautiful. Top of the list. I don't know if it's good, but it is so committed to its very specific... 
storytelling that it's it, it's hard not to recommend. Anyway. Yeah, I admire it. Okay, Joseph. Imagine Serenity. A Matthew McConaughey type is on the boat. Tom Hanks is the Digimon Hansu. I think he's the he's the boat hand, right? Yeah. He's yeah, that yeah. role. Mm-hmm. You know, McConaughey is dealing with his Anne Hathaway problem, you know, an Anne Hathaway type. Tonics, they go out. Uh, that big fish that they're trying to catch turns out to be a mermaid. And it's Daryl Hannah. And Matthew McConaughey, like, wants to exploit her because she's a mermaid. And this actually might sort of fall into, like, what the movie's actually about, possibly. And Tom Hanks falls in love with her and, you know, protects her and then eventually has to let her go back to the sea. So I guess it's also kind of like Aquaman, where Nicole Kidman has to go back to the sea. So it's kind of, it's kind of Serenity meets Aquaman. That's my guess. I can't wait to see if you're right. I, I can't wait to rewatch this movie again, to be honest. You know, I actually bought a copy before we decided to do Tom Tom Club, and uh, I was about, it was like on my list to watch, and then we decided to do this. So I can wait a few more months, but very itchy to rewatch Splash. I know that there was a, which I'm sure we will talk about mermaid movies on that episode, but there was a Disney Channel original movie called The 13th Year, I think, where a boy turns into a mermaid of some kind, and there is uh, that movie from a couple years ago, The Lore, which is the, I think, oh, yeah. Polish horror musical where the the leads are mermaids, which is fucking awesome. You know, ob- obviously The Little Mermaid. Presumably the live-action reboot of The Little Mermaid that's coming in four or five years that hasn't been announced yet. They also have a, uh, a show on, I think it's Freeform now, called uh, Sirens is uh, the story of, like, what would happen if a mermaid was able to come to land. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard of that. I heard of that. It looks pretty crazy. What? It's that same kind of thing you get when they have, like, what if an alien tried to live among humans? But it's a mermaid who has legs for some reason. Yeah, it's a little bit of, like... The man who fell to earthy kind of star man, but like a mermaid kind of thing going. Uh, Joey, I was also thinking of, because it's been on HBO a lot, Sully and all like the mermaid imagery in that movie. And Tully, too, not so. Sully. Tully. Sully is Hanks. We'll get we there. We will get there. I always got those two confused. Even on that episode, I was calling it that. I was going to let you go with it because I was like, I haven't seen that movie, but now I want to. No, 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 no mermaids, just a lot of geese and souls on that plane. Sully's really good, though. Go see Sully, go see the mule. Yeah. Uh, catch up on recent Clint Eastwood. Apparently he's, you know, back on his game, so go check those out. But for all things Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash cageclub. We'll be back next week for all the right moves over the Cruise Club podcast. And we'll be back in two weeks here on this show for Splash. We're really going into high gear. Check out our Risky Business episode if you haven't heard that. And then come back next week for Cruise Club and then two weeks for Hanks of the Memories. Lots of fun TomTom. We are already in the full swing of TomTom and it is a great time to be watching these movies. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Mansi. And that was Matt Delhauer of the Ginger Geek Podcast. And we will see you in two weeks right here on Hanks for the Memories. What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? And there ain't no nothing we can't love each other through. What would we do, baby, without us? Oh, 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 here we go now. It may not be Miller time, but it is vanilla time.